Welcome to Full Scope, a podcast of two guys in their 20s, giving their perspective on the games that we love, headlines in pop culture, and the meaning behind it all. I'm your host, Wendy Burns. I'm my kind of first by Morris. How's it going? What's going on, man? What's going on? Not much. Uh, week. Yeah. You, you, your team is not, it's not a part of it, unfortunately. Uh, yeah, I thought you were going to say that. I didn't want to add that in there, but I just, <laughs> it's not Green Bay, it's Tampa. <laughs> Yeah, you know, you go through trials and tribulations, Brett. Oh, Willington. It's okay. Everybody <laughs> yeah, goes through. <laughs> everybody has to go through. <laughs> but um, obviously, we're going to get into our Super Bowl preview and, and also the um, thoughts on the Matthew Stafford trade to the Rams, um, uh, NBA topic, and then also a couple NBA topics, an album review. And then in the second half, we're going to do a, a review of Soul. And to start it off with um, the Bucks Super Bowl preview and just kind of like some of the X factors for this matchup. Um, these two teams last met in Week 12, where the Chiefs won by three in Tampa, and they led by 17 in the fourth. Where the Bucks scored a pair of touchdowns. Um, Tampa Bay hasn't lost since, winning their final four regular season games and three in a row in the playoffs. And um, obviously, you know the, the Chiefs are a pass-heavy team, passed 63% of the time on early downs, passed even more than usual, 69.2% in their first matchup, matchup versus Tampa Bay. And, you know, last week's performance against the Bills, we had questions about, you know, would, you know, Mahomes look himself as healthy? And um, he was just kind of like at the at the top of his power, peak of his powers with his ball placement and accuracy. And, you know, for the Bucks, they're like going to likely be employing a high percentage of two-deep coverages. Um, in the f- first matchup, Tampa Bay played some of some form of, you know, two-deep on 31 of Mahomes, 53 pass plays. But what are kind of your thoughts on what could be some of the biggest X-factors in this matchup? Um, when there's just two undeniable explosive offenses at Tampa Bay's pass rush, versus a, a Chiefs banged up offensive line could also be very key as well. I, I, yeah, I think you you just mentioned the the biggest factor is the offensive line. The left tackle Eric Fisher is out. He's not the best. He was drafted first round like four or five years ago, probably longer than that. No, Eric, whatever. But that's a big blow. Especially coming with Jason Pierre-Paul and JT, not JT Barrett, but Barrett coming off the end. We've seen what they can do when they have back against backup left tackles and right tackles. They had a field day against Green Bay. They combined for like four or five sacks. Now we see them going against the same exact thing on the left side. Not more so Barrett, but I want to see how Yazir, Yazir Durant does against Jason Pierre-Paul. I think that's the biggest headline that you that you will see this week alone. Can these these left left tackle and right tackle for Kansas City Chiefs or the play calling slow down Jason Pierre-Paul and Barrett? I say the question is yes, because they do a lot of things differently than Green Bay did. And I think it was working for Green Bay. But at certain points, when you're down a distance, and you, you, that you was the thing for Green Bay. Yeah. They really were down in distance and they kind of had to like play catch up. Yeah. And the Kansas City Chiefs will not do, will, will not be, won't put, be put in that predicament to be able to, you know, do that because one, they have so many play calls that will dilute the pass rush as much as possible. They have Patrick Mahomes is one of the best quarterbacks I've seen on a, <laughs> a gimp, a gimp leg do the things he did um, like, um, against the uh, Buffalo Bills. So the pass rush, we thought that the pass rush would get them with the Buffalo Bills. It didn't do it. It was a lot of plays they ran that gave Patrick Mahomes the, like, it put him in the right position to make great, great plays. And when you have Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey, and man, it's hard to stop How are they going to stop those guys? How are they going to stop those guys? I just don't see it. I mean, it's just like almost every time, like, we just get to this point where even the regular season, there was some vulnerability from the Chiefs in, in terms of just like closing game strong, but still, right. they still were able to make enough plays to get to 14 wins. You know what? I did see something where I was talking to a friend last week, uh, the, the week of the Senior Bowl, and he was saying, well, Buccaneers have fashion linebackers that can cover Travis Kelsey and all these guys. I was like, that's not, that's not going to work either. Because we said the same thing with Gronkowski, you know, exactly. when he was in his prime and they had these fast linebackers or these DBs that were really good, but couldn't hold him. Travis Kelsey's a different breed. He's literally a wide receiver running back and a tight end mixed and one because his route running abilities are crazy. And you cannot keep up with Tyreek Hill. At it's all. impossible. Cover two, if you run cover two, there are other guys that will utilize, like Hardeman, like Travis Kelsey, like Claude, uh, the running back coming out of the backfield. Yeah, they Clyde have so really many weapons. Yeah, 
They have so many weapons and play calls that will dilute the pass rush and have that secondary looking crazy. Now, yeah. I don't foresee the Kansas City Chiefs to get down the distance and go like th- third and 10 or third and 14 often because they, they pass they pass so frequently and they have the quick quick throws and RPOs that get them out of situations. So I think the pass rush will be diluted for this game. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, the, one of the biggest storylines for this game is Mahomes and Brady. Brady, 43 at this point of his career and what he's doing, getting Tampa Bay to a Super Bowl in his first year. Um, with no OTAs, no uh, no um, preseason. And then for Mahomes, you know, he's the face of the league, 25, um, just j- j- just at the forefront of what the NFL is putting at, at its premier quarterback. And this is a matchup that, you know, a lot of people are saying could be talked about years from now in terms of just the, the legacy impact. Because if, if Brady wins this, I mean, the conversation's over of who's the greatest of all time. I mean, it, it already kind of is, but... If Mahomes gets two, that conversation can still be open because he has such a long time in his career left. But what are your thoughts on just kind of like just the contrast and nature of what we're getting? Because this is a very like a big gap and you have the greatest against possibly the next greatest. This is going to (laughs) be this is crazy because if Tom Brady and the Buccaneers somehow pull out a win against these young, innovative Kansas City Chiefs on both sides of the football, this will cut out all the talks of, oh, well, Tom Brady's not to go. I don't think there should any be talks about him not being shouldn't be a conversation now. <laughs> but if he beats the future of football, the future of the NFL, yo, and his, his first year with another team, the Bonkers. system talks, the system talks that he was with, uh, the New England has to go, go out away. The the, his, his broken norm has to go out the way. Like, you have to start giving Tom Brady his respect even more. Now, I respect the, the heck out of Tom Brady. The fact that what he did, they finally got consistent. Well, it's, remember we said the consistency yeah, was up a and factor. Down. Seven games straight. That's crazy. Even against one of my against my team. So I have to have give my hats off to Tom Brady. But now, if Tom Brady loses his, his career... His his legacy is not yeah it's still not it's still not altered but Patrick Mahomes it he will be he's the new Tom Brady and I hate to say he's the new Tom Brady but he's going to be the new Tom Brady mm-hmm, for sure he's changing the game of football Tom Brady changed the game of football a six round draft the Steph Curry out. of the NFL the Steph Curry of the NFL no don't what <laughs> well it's a key revolutionized the game no revolutionized I mean, the game man. No. I know you're a Steph Curry hater. <laughs> I'm not a Steph Curry hater, hater, but I'm just saying, why bring him just, over here? Yeah, exactly. Take, yeah, stay that Two different there. things. He's, he's, oh, he's, I'll give it to Tom Brady. Because of three-point shooting? Everybody was hitting three-point shooting. I mean, come on. The man. distance, man. The distance. Oh, the distance. Reggie that. Miller used to, <laughs> Reggie Miller used to throw the, like, he used to, come on, Pedro Stokovic, come on, bro. Like, it's a long <laughs> list of players who used to shoot the three-point. Now you get it. You get me outside. Oh, okay. goodness. We're getting basketball. My bad. My bad. <laughs> I'm going to step back. Step back, James Harden. Wow. <laughs> step back, step back. Dribble, dribble, dribble. <laughs> And, and, and I mean, it, it really is. It, it does seem like one of those. It, it, for the last thing, the home field advantage. Bruce Arians said, like he feels as though that's going to be an advantage in a COVID like era where there's not going to be a, a, probably a limited attendance and not that same like presence. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to be an advantage for Tampa Bay? Because Kansas City beat them at home for the last game, and it, it really doesn't matter where Kansas City plays in terms of the adversity. Home field advantage definitely is. Vital doesn't mean it doesn't matter how many fans are in the stands or whatever. The, the away team knows they're not in their home stadium, that they have some type of uh, advantage because they play here more often than the away team. That's just like on the surface things, but it's just little little intricate details that the the home team has that the away team doesn't have. So, and one of those are the fans. I know it's not going to be as many fans for the Super Bowl, but I think it's still going to be impactful. Now, I think Kansas City can, like you said, can play anywhere and still be hot, like on top notch and, and high, you know, mm-hmm. on the frequencies. But I do think having the home field advantage, having the Super Bowl at in Tampa is going to be really good <laughs> for Tom Brady. And the oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and now transitioning to Matthew Stafford straight to the Rams and just kind of like where that puts LA in the hierarchy of the NFC. Um, the Rams traded away two future first round picks, their third um, round pick this year, and Jared Goff in exchange for only Stafford. And he's been a 
consistently above average QB. And the past few seasons, LA has had, you know, kind of like both the lowest floor and ceiling among the NFC's West starting QBs. And this trade, you know, gives them a much higher potential um, at, at the QB position and just a chance at being a contender. But kind of like, what are your thoughts on what this trade means for the Rams and Stafford at this point in his career where, where he's finally kind of being put in a win situation? You know what? I thought it was going to come sooner than later. I didn't think it was going to be Matthew Stafford. I knew they're going to deal away Jared Goff at a certain point. I think they started to look at his film more in that Super Bowl run and say, like, it was not him that got us there. It was Todd Gurley. We got rid of him. <laughs> he was 75% of our offense on that Super Bowl run. Our defense was playing lights out. We had, it was so many other variables and players outside of Jared Goff. I knew at some point they was like going to get tired of him. Probably that general manager or the owner was like, yeah, let's get. And Matthew Stafford is a good quarterback. The guy is a good quarterback. Like, seriously, I used to, I was like, yeah. why do you keep paying him in the, the <laughs> with the Lions and I watched film on him? This mm -hmm. guy is a good quarterback. If he gets in the right system, they did numbers. They just didn't have a, a good defense when Calvin Johnson was there. They, had, they did numbers, numbers. prolific yeah. numbers. I think they had Pettigrew at tight end, Calvin Johnson on the other side. They had uh, Nate Burleson on the other side. They had wide receivers, and they they were like nine game, like nine ten games a season. And then once he, I mean, he did he is plagued by injuries, but I think him in the system, mm -hmm. him giving the opportunity to lead a different team, I think it was a great move. Now I definitely think the Lions won for sure. Really. <laughs> Not with Jared Goff, but the the picks. Oh, the picks! Yeah, the picks are amazing. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I I wouldn't say Matthew Stafford is worth that much, but I think they wanted to do any and everything to get out Jared Goff's deal because they just gave him a new deal two years ago. I think it was worth over like fifty million dollars. So yeah. we'll do anything to get out of that. We 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 feel that we have a good core on our defensive side, and we have the weapons on offense. We just need a quarterback that can lead us. And I think they yeah. have that in Matthew Stafford. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, now transitioning to the NBA with Bradley Bill's frustrations in Washington and just kind of thoughts on him currently saying he doesn't want to be traded. Um, <laughs> you know, the Wizards, they're at the bottom of the East with a, a 5-13 and 13 record. And Bill is, you know, having a prolific season, leading the league and scoring at 34.9 points per game and has, you know, firmly put himself as a candidate to make the All-Star in all NBA team and um, mm -hmm. center contract for one more season after this one has made his home in the DC area. Um, the trade deadline is March 25th and a rival executive recently said, quote, the wizards have maintained what they've always maintained. They're building something in Washington around bill uh, end quote, but kind of like, what are your thoughts <laughs> on the struggles? I don't know what they're, I don't know what he's, what he's saying they're building. I don't know what he, <laughs> what, what particularly they're, they're building, <laughs> but he's confident in it. Um, but, but what are your thoughts on kind of like just the struggles Bradley Bill is currently facing with Washington and kind of like what's the best move um, kind of for just, just the prime years of his career? They're building a house of straw for Bradley Bill that's going to be blown <laughs> down by the wolf. Uh, man, I wish, I, you know what? I love the way he has this, okay, I'm going to stick it out. Maybe they'll get me somebody. <laughs> Maybe John yeah. Wall, John Wall will get healthy again. Okay, they deal him away. Okay, they they're gonna give me somebody. They gave me Russell Westbrook. Okay, we we can work it out. We can do something here. No, we can't do nothing here. It's admirable that you do not want to trade. I think it's because he has one year left and he wants to finish the season out. And but bro, get away. You should have been with he. I don't know why he resigned his deal. Get away. You're wasting your talent. It's yeah, the same thing that this is exactly what Cavaliers are gonna do to LeBron until he left. They did not give him players. Yeah. He stayed. And then he was like, okay, I'm not going to stay and waste my talent to waste my golden years with a team Why that's not giving me. Exactly. I'm, they're not doing anything for me. What are they building? What are they building, Wellington? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Absolutely Rival, nothing. rival executive. Rival executive. What did you mean by that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please explain. What, Elaborate. What, you, what info do you have? <laughs> right. What do you... Yeah, exactly. Like, please enlighten us what they're building for him because it doesn't seem like they're building anything. I don't know, yeah, man. It, it really doesn't. It, yeah, it really doesn't. Because, I mean, some of the teams that, that could possibly make a trade, Golden State could make one. Um, Philly could make one. But, I mean, Philly, they're looking really good at the top of the East. Is there any team in particular like that's a contender that you think could be put over um, 
just be put over the hump in terms of like where they're trying to get with If they trade him, mm, yeah, probably 76ers. But if he if they don't yeah. trade him, if they don't trade him, I think it'll be smart for the Wizards to trade him because he's gonna sure. I believe he's gonna leave after the year is over. So get something for him in return. And you know what I mean? I think 76ers would be a good spot. Warriors would be a good spot because Andrew Wiggins is not panning out. The guy they drafted, I forgot his name, the young guy, he's not working. James Wiseman. Yeah. Uh one guy who only dunks and he's like <laughs> his percentage is super low from Kelly Oubre. Like, yes, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think Bradley Bill would do wonders over there. Yeah. Because Clay's not coming back anytime soon. Draymond is at the latter of his career. He had a good three, four years out on the top of his Man, feet. The, I mean, the, the decline of Draymond is, is, yeah. is evident. It's evident. It, it, it's going to be fast. It definitely was going to be faster than any other player because he's not like a top tier player. Like he was just a good defense and he, had a, he has a high basketball IQ. But the talent wasn't really there. He'll make a three here and there if he's wide open. And he'll like he's a good facilitator and a good defensive player. Yeah, of very, course, very good yeah. facilitator. Of, of of course, you're the, like decline earlier than any other top tier uh, basketball player. But that's I think Bradley Beal need to get out. Get out. But the best best possible way for Wizards to win is to trade him, get some get some some role players, and try to draft well. That's the best. Yeah. That's the best advice. I don't know what that rival executive is telling them <laughs> on the other side, but that's my They're about advice. To get Ben Simmons. They're about to get Ben Simmons. <laughs> you know, Ben Simmons would not be bad with the Wizards. I think it would not. Like it up there. I, I, think I actually like, like that trade the more and more I think about it. But would they trade Ben Simmons? Would it just gave a big contract to? Mm. Nah. Nah. For and how and how well they're playing right now. Yeah, nah. This is a different Sixers team. Yes. A, a well-oiled, gelled team, team, Sixers team. Yeah. Process not over yet, though. It's still a process. 99.6%. Man, Philly has to be tortured about hearing the process. Like, we don't want to hear that anymore. We don't want to hear that anymore. We've been hearing that since uh, Allen Iverson. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, and after listening to uh, just the concerns with, with Dallas and, and Miami, um. Both have had slow starts to the season. That the Mavericks are nine and thirteen and have been the league's um, worst three point shooting team, thirty two point eight percent. They've had four losses to teams missing their leading score, and and um, Miami is currently seven and fourteen with you know obviously a lot of injuries to keep players and Jimmy Butler's recent return um, kind of has them hoping for more stability and leadership. But like, who do you between these two teams should there be more concern for? Um, or as both of these teams were in the postseason last year in Miami, you know, all the way um, ha- all the way to a finals appearance um, in the bubble. Miami, for sure. Yeah, just the amount of momentum they have. Yeah, I think it may be the injuries. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Dragic is hurt. Tyler Hero, Hero is kind of like banged up. Jimmy Butler was banged up. Kelly is was banged up. Bam is banged up. The whole team is banged up. Avery Bradley is banged up. It's like they're not completely healthy. I don't know. Like, it's no way. If there's one team, of- if there's one team that struggled from the short layoff of the season, it's Miami. LA, they don't look like tired at all. Not at all. And I think I just continue to think about the the picture with uh Jimmy Butler just like <laughs> bending over after one it's, of the, I think it was it's carried four. over into this season. <laughs> yes. And he got a haircut like after the season. He felt, uh, he looked rejuvenated, but now yeah. he's just it's I I I'm I'm gonna blame it on the injuries and the turnaround of the season. And I know that's not for everybody, but I think the turnaround for the season has Miami Heat kind of, they're going to pick it up. They have to. I believe they're going to Oh, yeah, for sure. Because they have, they, it's, it's no way. They've had, they had that amazing second half, like, season performances. Like, yeah, Miami maybe, is a consistently a good second half season team. Maybe they need to go back in the bubble. I think that's what they got there, like, you know. <laughs> Let's we'll go superpowers. back to our <laughs> Let's go back to the bubble. That's where we got a superpowers from. But no, I, I feel like that's the, the the biggest red flag because the amount of momentum they had coming and playing against the, the Lakers and coming short. But I mean, yeah, some red flags. Injuries are definitely the red flags for that team. Yeah, absolutely. And, and before, before transition, a team that, that I didn't even mention is also, I mean, really having a, a, a very successful start to the season is the Jazz currently first in the West. And I mean, obviously there've been always questions of 
and Mitchell and Rudy Gobert put it together? Can this team go farther than you know a second round appearance? It, early on, do you feel as though this can be a legitimate threat to one of the LA teams, or do you still feel as though it's you know the Lakers at the top and and, and the Clippers and everybody else in the West? You know what? I just think about the conversation <laughs> that uh, Shaq had yes, with. Uh... <laughs> Diamond Mitchell was like, okay. <laughs> and also Kenny. But no, that's that's a true statement, though. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah. That's a true statement. We've I've 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 gone in my mind a couple times the and try to examine the Utah Jazz. And I look at Donovan Mitchell, the spider, what do you want to call him? And I think to myself, he's not involved as a player yet. And until mm-hmm. he evolved as a player, they're not they're not gonna win a championship. Unless they, if they, let's say, add some more pieces. But for, I'm just, just speaking on, I mean, we all know Rudy Gobert is a one-way player. He'll get you 10 points, but whatever. But Donovan Mitchell, every year he's improved in his shooting ability, in his, in his scoring ability. But what about the other, like, he's not evolved as a complete player. And I think that's what's going to hold him back because he's the clear-cut leader of that squad. Until he mm-hmm. becomes that top-tier player, they're not going to win a championship. But I love the start that they have. That's really, really good. But when it gets down to the nitty-gritty, I don't think they can challenge any team. That's, that's just me. Yeah. That's just me. It, 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 kind of, it kind of seems that way as, as well, because Donovan Mitchell's just evolution has to be the biggest thing for them. Yes. He is going to be the cornerstone of that franchise for the next, um, you know, 10 to 15 years. Yeah. And I, we see the two Laker team coasting because they have they the really ability. Are. They have the players. They can turn it up. Exactly. Now, Utah, okay, it looks good. Utah's in the first place. Yeah. Way to go. Way yeah. to go. Behind a half, <laughs> half a game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a Philly lead. It's not like a like Philly. Like, there's right. firmly centered as first in the East right now. Right. It's, it's different in the West. But I, I think it's a good start for the Jazz to give them some, some you know, some t- t- testosterone, not confidence, testosterone, testosterone. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a testosterone. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um, uh, not just something to our Daniel Caesar's Freudian review and just kind of like thoughts on the synergistic um, re- relationship he brought with gospel and R&B. In this debut album from 2017, he's placing his you know artistic direction and gospel for a certain roadmap um, to the compl- complexities of romantic love. Twice in Freudian, there's striking similarities of well-known gospel songs. Yeah. Um, on Hold Me Down, he brings back the familiar melody of Kirk Franklin's Hold Me Now and makes it about um, romantic loyalty. Also, then for Where We Find Love, he delivers that again with um, Kyle David Matthews' We Fall Down. And just overall, he's got more collaborators uh, uh, like uh, Ugas, um, Sid, her, and Charlie Day Wilson, just elegance, and it brings the album into focus. But kind of like, what were your thoughts on this debut album from Daniel Caesar and also just the balance he has between sacred elements and, and uh, secular sentiment? Ooh, this album was the epitome of a one-hit wonder. Not not a one-hit wonder. I won't say that. I won't say that. This album like set the bar so high. And so high. I, I love to talk about how artists like Chance the Rapper, um, John Gibbs, who came from the Christian realm of things and kind of, you know, came into secular and how they utilized the, the church sound. And I mean, it goes back to Kurt Frank and how he did it, how he used secular style of music and turned it into Christian style to reach a different demographic of, of believers. And I think all music is inter- intertwined with, you know, God. Music comes from God, but it's just more of, I think it's, it's a compliment in, in most ways. I think it's, it's flattering more than disrespectful for uh, Kirk Franklin, who was like frowned upon for years for him, like biting <laughs> secular music. <laughs> but it's one of the, he's one of the greatest orchestrators of our time. Ever. Ever. The man has so much music out that you just just love. His and bag, I think, man. His bag is so deep. Boy, yeah, he got <laughs> He got his well there. Records for days. He can win any verses in gospel. <laughs> Boy, nobody wants to see Kurt Franklin. Nobody. <laughs> but no, for this album, though, like it's so smooth. And then it starts off so perfectly. The first song. Mm. Oh man, yo, that's my favorite Get You. And then yeah. best part is really a vibe, but Get You is one of my favorites. And then uh Hold Me Down. I, I love how, yeah, man, how he orchestrates the love and the the Christian mm-hmm. element intertwines it. 
it intertwines all together and it, it makes a perfect sound. I don't know what he did on his second album, but uh, <laughs> I mean, and that's another thing though. When an artist has such a good debut album, like, do you feel as though there's more pre- like, is there more pressure for them to to, to stay at that point? Because it's rare for us to see artists just have such a breakthrough great album and then continue that wave, continue to ride that wave. That's where like the legends are, and sometimes artists can't get to that point. For sure. It's extremely hard to hone what you did at one point and try to emulate that in another album. If you can do that consistently, that's why you're one of the greats. That's yeah. why you you're you're like a master class. You're in that master class. Yeah. And I think with when it comes to like R and B artists, it's I think they get to a point in a career where they're just like, well, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do mm-hmm. that style anymore. Because his first album is so different from his second album. And it should be like that. But it's, yeah, but it still has to be some type of... Like, it's like a couple songs I really like. I think the song with Brandy, I forgot the name of it. But I really like that. But it's other songs I'm like, this this is what... This ain't what we asked for. <laughs> this it doesn't deliver the same feel. It doesn't deliver the same feel. It doesn't. I didn't. I didn't feel like I feel every song on this on 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 this on this album, every song, and it like it put me to the like because I know he has the the church background and he's from Toronto. He's from the suburbs. <laughs> like I'm giving you his whole background. Go back to um, <laughs> you, you wanted to know more about Daniel Caesar. You came to the right. Place. Exactly. Yeah, I do my I do my history because um no for seriously, like I even watched like videos on him of how he came up with the ideas and stuff, and you can hear the process in this album mm-hmm. about his childhood, about his love interests, about who he is as a person. The second one I really he cut his dreads off, he had a uh uh <laughs> <laughs> he turned into the dude. He was in his nineties bag. <laughs> <laughs> he turned into the 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 thing off of uh, the power the uh with the dog movie. Uh, what's yeah. the uh, uh I to I, I to I that that guy? I forgot his name. Well, I'm going um, blank on it. But yeah, man, I think this album was really dope, and it's extremely it hard to kind of. Hone that energy and put into another album, man. But yeah, this yeah. is yeah, fire album. Fire. <laughs> What's your favorite song though? I mean, I'm probably gonna say "We Found Love." "We Found Love" was still uh, it's still my top one. It's still the one I go back and and, and listen to the most. Yeah, that was a nice twist. Yeah, yeah. Man, um, cool. well, we're gonna take a quick break. We'll be right back into our soul review. Welcome back to the show, and now we're getting into our soul review, and we're joined by a special guest, um, Serge Prevere, a former college classmate of mine. He's been on a couple of our, our past movie reviews and um, first guest of, of this new year, and uh, thanks for being back on, man. Thank you so much. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. So, Yeah, man, absolutely. And to start it off with the overview of Soul, um, Soul is a 2020 American computer animated comedy drama film produced by Pixar Animation Studios and released by Walt Disney Pictures. Directed by Pete Doctor and co-directed by Kent Powers. Um, the film stars the voices of Jamie Foxx, Tina Fey, Graham Norton, Rachel House, um, Alice Braga, Richard um, Ayode, uh, Felicia Rashad, Donald Rollins, Questlove, and Angela Bassett. Um, the story is centered around a middle school teacher named Joe Gardner who seeks to re- reunite his soul and his body after they are accidentally separated just before his big break as a jazz musician. Um, soul is also the first Pixar film to feature an, African, an African-American protagonist I mean, had a budget of 150 million and brought in 85.2 million in the box office. Has a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes and at um, the 78th Golden Globe Awards, the film was nominated for the Best Animated Feature Film and Best Original Score. Um, but to you, Serge, kind of like what were your initial thoughts on the animation story, voice acting, and music um, put together to be an, an inventive tale? Yeah. So I, I would say is this: um, one, when the trailer came out. When I saw who played the main character, Jamie Foxx, like I was originally, I was I was sucked already because Jamie Foxx is such a phenomenal character. And not just that, but seeing the amount of detail within the film in and of itself. I mean, yeah. like Pixar is really well known for just, you know, the way they use their CGI, but they literally like they went all out in this film. 
let's say when it came to details in the hair, the texture of the skin, uh, one of the yeah. characters, a drummer, you know, a bald black guy, like his his head was and his forehead was so glossy, you know, or even uh, in one of these scenes where they're like, <laughs> even in one of the scenes where, uh, you know, uh, the main character was getting his hairline uh, lined up. Yes. Like it was just so much attention to detail. It was phenomenal. And just, it was a phenomenal movie, just a beautiful movie in general. And so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Savan, to you, kind of like what were your initial thoughts um, on this on this film as, as just, you know, a very creative type of tale that, um, you know, really put together just one of the fascinating um, new movie. Well, it was actually the end of last year, but has really been accepted um, widely um, for the beginning of the year. Man, I when I first saw, I was like, yes, the ideal representation that we all need. And Jamie Foxx is the main character. Just like Serge said, I was like, okay, Jamie Foxx is going to bring this character to life. And the second thing I was looking forward to was the message. Pixar mm -hmm. has always brings the a message that has heard for or presented for young, young, the young adults in just for you know the older people who watch the movies, because most of the time they make it for <laughs> the older older <laughs> people. They just do the, the cartoons or the characters for the young the young crowd. But I was looking mm. forward to the message, and I was disappointed in the message. Mm. Oh wow! Uh oh, unpack wow. that. Unpack that a little. No, we, we you gotta wait to the end. Man. <laughs> <You> gotta wait. <laughs> <laughs> Give the fans a Caesar. Give the fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know what? I don't. I don't think the message was clear cut this time, mm. and it was like everywhere. I think it was one. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let just go ahead, Willie. Yeah. See? yeah. <laughs> I, I'm getting out of turn. I'm, I'm. I'm the one actually getting out of turn for this one. Um, but but to start it off, kind of like from one to four stars, what would you give it? Um, to, to for me personally, I did think this was an excellent film. I felt felt like this was a four star film. This it was very nuanced and layered. Even outside of the serious themes, there was a, a richness of the narrative. And um, the stunning jazz court uh, really made it worthwhile as well. Um, but to you, Serge, kind of like from one to four stars, what would you give it? I'll say four stars. Um, yeah. I mean, you might you might disagree with me, say, but I don't know. Um, but again, phenomenal cast. Not only did they have Jamie Foxx, yeah, uh, they had David Diggs who played in Hamilton, mm -hmm. and he's a yep. phenomenal guy. Yeah. Um, and right now, I think he's playing in the Snowpiercer films. And then uh, they had um, had a comedian on there. What was his name? Uh, he played, uh, let me see if I can look him up real quick. Dono Rawlings, is that his name? Yeah, yeah. Dono Rawlings. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So just a phenomenal cast, phenomenal acting, beautiful, uh, you know, just sceneries. And like, I thought the message was deep uh, because, again, the theme was enjoying the simple things in life, mm -hmm. the small things in life. Yeah. While people are overwhelmed with, uh, Finding their their goal, their main goal, like I have to be a musician. If I'm not, there's no purpose behind me living. You know, there's there's smaller things in life in which we can enjoy and we can find purpose um, in regards to living. I mean, of course, as believers, as Christians, our, our greatest mm -hmm. purpose is to honor and glorify God. Right. But there's there's small things and small details in life in which we can enjoy. We don't have to be driven by this one purpose. You know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's what I would say for. Yeah. Um, Savon, so you kind of like from, from one to four stars, what would you give it? I'll give it a three. <laughs> and I love I love what you just said, Serge. You know, I think for different perspectives, what you got from that movie is exactly what you needed to get from that movie. That was, yeah, but I was looking for my, what I needed to get from that. You know, like, it was like a, like a, a word for me, for me, like, cause maybe you're going through something <laughs> like that. So it was, it was more identified, like it identified like quicker. And it was like, oh, bright lights, boom, 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 boom. But for me, it wasn't yeah. like that. So I, I'll give it a three stars because I hate how it ended mm. for sure. I uh, hate how it ended. I was like, this is it. Okay. But yeah. You know, I'll give it three and a half stars because I love the characters. I didn't know Tina Fey played 22 until <laughs> like four days ago. And I was like, that's Tina Fey? That's crazy. Um, I love, I love uh <laughs> the Terry guy. Like, yo, it was yes. like he kind of made the movie. And it's um, I forgot her name. No, 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 what's her name? Rachel House, she does a lot of voiceovers and characters from Disney to whatever, and she voiced this character and didn't know that. 
Um, but I give it a three out of stars. I didn't like how it, you know, ended and I didn't get a clear cut message for myself because, you know, it's all about me. It's all about you, girl. <laughs> If I could say this, right, <laughs> if I could say this, um, I know a lot of people, they weren't satisfied with the ending. I mean, like, awesome, you know, Joe Gardner gets to have, like, a, you know, I guess another chance in living. And, like, you're hoping, like, maybe he'll find 22. Or, like, you know, yeah. maybe he will, find, you know, go into that relationship that he, like, you know, put off uh, right. all that time ago. But just the way they ended, like, he literally just walked outside and they finished the movie. But um, I was watching a video explaining why they finished that way or ended the movie that way. And it honestly made sense. So the purpose behind that was possibly they didn't want you to wonder. They don't want you to be, I guess, satisfied with the idea of did Joe Gardner, you know, um, like, oh, yes, he met up with that one girl and, and that they're making or like, oh, like, yes, he's continuing with his jazz career or like they don't want you to, I guess, be satisfied with just an ending. They wanted you to see or just assume what may happen. But if anything, like, mm -hmm. I guess it gives us an example of, instead of like focusing on this area of, you know, this person's story, we should make our own story. If that makes sense. Like, instead of just yeah. like being Absolutely. content with a, with a closed ending, being content with, okay, cool. So you did wind up with that girl. I guess the way that they wanted to show was just how Joe had another you know, um, opportunity in life, we too, we still have our opportunity in life and we should go and make our story, you know? Um, so I think that's why they left it that way. And so, yes, I know a lot of people were discontent with the ending because they wanted to see what would happen that, you know, with this second opportunity in life. Like, is he going to find 22 again? Who is 22? Uh, is he going to try to pursue that relationship? Is he going to continue with his jazz career? But I think there was a, a much deeper message in, in store. I think they left it open to us because the purpose is not, you know, let me see the the, the finishing to the ending. Like, you know, I want to know what happened with his life. I think I would, the focus... Go ahead, Savon. I would rather see what 22 was as a person more than seeing him come back and have a second chance at life. And, you know, I didn't like that message as well because normally there's no second chances in life. And a lot of people are awarded yeah. the second chance, especially, I mean, obviously you die, you, you, you're done. You only got one life. But I'd rather, <laughs> see, I'd rather see new life than someone going back and having a second chance. I wanted to see what 22 was because the, I focus more on 22 than anything outside of this storyline. Because if there was a message we feel like we're not good enough or we're, we're not capable of making it in this life. I think that was the, well, thank you, sir. You just got my message. I, four stars now, gentlemen. Four stars. Four stars around the table. Four stars. Up to <laughs> Appreciate you, Serge. Um, 96% rating. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Um, but I think I, I wanted to see what 22 would come like. Now you have the opportunity. You got somebody behind you that's pushing you and telling you you're good enough. First, it was for the wrong reason. Now he's really saying, yo, you're good enough. Go do it. I'd rather see Hurt 22 than seeing him go. You know what I mean? I mean, that's just me. I wanted, maybe it could be a spinoff. I would be mad at that just for 22. But yeah. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. I just wanted to see yeah. what 22 was, what what, what she came out, mm -hmm. came to be. And then I thought before, I'm sorry, move on. I thought maybe she was a little girl who was really good at the trumpet or something that was at outside his door. Yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. maybe she was like, I don't know, like I wanted to like be a conspiracy, have a conspiracy theory. Like maybe that was her, but she didn't know it was her. Nah, that's stupid. Never mind. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> you were thinking through, like, could this actually work? Could we actually put the pieces together? <laughs> and I just realized that was dumb. <laughs> no, no. 22 was a cat. 22 was a cat. Okay. She was a cat. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> she came back as a cat. That's but the no. worst thing. <laughs> the worst. The actual worst return. <laughs> um, but now transitioning to, to favorite character. Um, to, to me, it was 22 as her overall arc, as just kind of the soul who meets Joe and, and is partnered up with. Um, so she can find her spark was a, was a pivotal element. And also just the opposing ideologies um, she possesses brings a lot of cleverness and wit as she was just incredibly sharp. 
Um, but to you, Serge, kind of like who was your overall um, favorite character? That's a really good question. Um, I mean, I, I don't want to say the main character because that's so cliche, but I would say is this, uh, the barber. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He was just such a cool guy. Well, what was his name? Uh, was yeah. it Dez? I think it was, it was Dez, Curly, right? Curly. I think it was Dez, yeah. What? No, I, think, I thought Questlove played Curly. Curly was the big guy. Yeah, Curly's the big guy. That well, was Questlove's character, yeah. Yeah. Okay. But yeah, that main character, that character, I think was my favorite because not only did he have so much personality in him, I mean, he only had like probably, probably like 10 minutes, uh, you know, mm -hmm. but regardless, like you learn so much about him in regards to his past life and not just that, but a life lesson, you know, um, like Joe, he just assumed that, you know, being a barber was his aspiration in life. Like that's his thing. Yeah. But you know, that's not what he always wanted to be until, like, let's say a, a responsibility had to take place. Yeah. And he decided to become a barber. But the thing was, he was content with his position. Mm -hmm. Like, he was content and where he was. And not just that, but because of him, uh, you know, becoming a barber, like, he had open opportunities to meet different kinds of people and have different social engagements mm -hmm. and to just to, to enjoy the, the atmosphere around him. And so I think that's another great life lesson in regards to like, even if you don't get to follow your dreams, you can still be content with where you're at and enjoy the small things around mm -hmm. you, like the people you meet or making people happy because, you know, you make them look good and you, you're able to, you know, just boost their confidence. Um, and plus, like, he was a pretty cool dude. He was fresh. That cat was fresh. Big guy. I respect that. Oh, yeah. Yes, you know? sir. And so... Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, but Savon, to you overall, looking back at this film, kind of like who was your um, favorite character? Terry, hands down, Terry, 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 <laughs> Terry, Terry, for the win. Terry. It, Terry was so funny. Hey, the count's off. <laughs> but from then on, it was his mission to make sure he got that long song. <laughs> Like it without that character, bro. He brought like it was all serious, but that character like made it funny. Like yo, it was like Terry was the guy, and especially he, <laughs> he had a guy in the alley. Yo, yo, that was, I felt so bad for that guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, <laughs> sir, you might want to stay away from the trans fat brother. Like, yeah, like that was just that funny. Was yeah. funny. <laughs> And oh, the, uh, <laughs> probably my secondary character, the guy who was like the hippie in real life, but he was on the little driving the boat type thing. I forgot yeah. his character name, mm -hmm. but that that was a good character. Yeah, Moonwind, right? Moon yeah, Moonwind. That is Moonwind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Some type of like Water Warcraft name. <laughs> oh, that's voiced by Graham Norton. Oh my gosh, Graham oh, Norton wow. voiced that character. Oh wow, I never. And I watch his show all the time. This yeah. cast was crazy. This cast was crazy. <laughs> it was really good. Oh. Really good. Yeah. Um, I'm not listening to most memorable scenes. Um, I had Connie decide to quit band. And this is one of the opening scenes. And she's at the teacher's doorstep, just discouraged and ready to quit band practice. Um, Joe talks with his mother. Um, you know, he's being offered the chance to become a jazz musician. And that gives him the confidence necessary to confront her over not supporting his dream. Um, 22 becomes a lost soul where 22 is, is losing her purpose and we see her giving up all her life in a pretty um, disheartening scene. Um, you can't crush a soul here. 22 goes into the hall of everything with Joe until um, 22 reveals everything's okay. Um, Joe plays the piano where Joe finds that he still feels unfulfilled for some reason. And um, Joe gives uh, 22 her badge back after making it to the grave before Joe realizes that 22 is um, truly ready to live life on earth. Um, but to you, Serge, um, Overall, kind of like what was the scene that that really stood out to you the most? So, like that's gonna be a difficult question for me because like this film in and of itself had so many phenomenal scenes. Uh, just in regards, oh to yeah, the, way too many. Yeah, no, way too many, way too many. Um, if I could drop it down to at least two, I would say mm -hmm. the first one is when he's talking to his mom, or at least twenty-two is speaking in his body, yeah. and Joe is in the cat's body, and you see how like twenty-two is. Like Joe is talking in the cat body and repeating to, to 22 what he should say to his mother. But then as a pen around the mother's head, he kind of see, I guess, Joe speaking for himself as if it's, he's speaking out of his body. 
and not only did I think that was like a, a genius way in regards to seeing like I guess uh, I guess a more personal level of, of Joe expressing himself, mm-hmm. um, but just I think a, a, a genius uh, tactic when it comes to cinematography, even though it was an animation. And then the second one would have to be when Joe, he has all the little little trinkets. Uh, like this is when he's back in his own body. He has all the little trinkets that twenty two collected uh, for. Mm-hmm. Uh, herself or you know as a, as a soul in his body mm. and he's playing the piano and he's looking at the little trinkets you know like, like the little pedal or the pizza and like he kind of gets in the mood and he was able to you know get into the uh, the other realm but it was so phenomenal because like you see how he starts i guess changing his perspective and he is getting into to that mood or that or that state um, especially because like he was trying to do a, a selfless act, trying to get back to 22 instead of just being selfish and just, you know, enjoying life for himself. But that was a, an awesome scene. Um, and so I'll say those two scenes. But the mom one, <laughs> like the mom and him, that intimate scene was great. I think that was probably the best one because of the intimacy between family. And so, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, to you, kind of like what was your um, overall like, or, or maybe a couple memorable scenes that that, that you really look back at, um, back at at this one. Two scenes that stand out the most when Twenty Two was in his body, and um, they're just sitting on the wash common. I think like a leaf, or it was something fell down, and she just looked at it, and a big smile. Like she had a had a big smile, and I was like, "Huh, that's really interesting." And then the second one was when he was outside after he played his butt off, he got back, and then he, it was him and uh, Dorothy or whatever her name is, and um, it's not what he expected. And she gave him mm. a gem that summed up the entire movie. And I was like, oh my gosh, the grass is green on the other side, syndrome. It's just like that scene right there. Like I'm at the top peak, I should be ecstatic. It's so mm-hmm. happy. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> this is not what. And then he goes back and said, "Like I'm more happy when I'm teaching kids how to do music and singing them fall in love with music." Or like he starts thinking about how 22 was in his body and she enjoyed the little things more than he did. Mm-hmm. Appreciate you, Serge. Like, yeah, bro, like you really just, and I don't know why my mind didn't wrap around that because I wasn't paying attention enough. I was paying attention. Yeah. But hey, yo, Surge for the win. Yo, Surge, you open my eyes, brother. Surge for the win. MVP of this episode. MVP of this episode. Written all over it. Now I'm just going back and thinking about all the scenes like, yo, four stars. Four stars. This is a dope movie. Yo, like this is the I, first time, Savon, you possibly have changed a rating for a movie review. Yes. <laughs> I love Pixar movies because of their message. They always have a dope message. Always. Like um Inside Out. That's one of my favorite Pixar movies. Like that message was like, ah, and it was Crazy. dope. But not this, yeah, that those two scenes really stood out the most. And then when um when you get into like the zone and you're like in this like trance or whatever. And uh, she was messing with them or whatever. I like that scene and just seeing how people go into the darkest moments and they become something. Ooh, come on, Pixar. Come on, Pixar. I love it when, like, let's say, for instance, remember when they went to that realm and you saw, like, these big, dark creatures? Yeah, that's what I was referring to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's like symbolic of people who are like totally dedicated to to this one particular thing where it becomes like an idol in their life, and like they totally ignore all other aspects of life. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so like it was phenomenal how they use these you know these characters to symbolize uh, traits or characteristics of individuals. Yes. You know, especially like the guy who was stuck in like the computer job. Like yeah. Desk job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my yeah. goodness, that was a great scene. <laughs> <laughs> that's, how exa- that's exactly how I would feel if I was stuck in that, you know, if I was in that position. You know, he went ham yeah. too. <laughs> he went ham. <laughs> oh man. Um, but yeah, uh, now listening to most memorable quotes I had. I'm going to live every minute of it. We're in the business of inspiration, Joe, but it's not often we find ourselves inspired. A spark isn't a soul's purpose. 
I'm just afraid that if I died today, my life would have amounted to nothing. Mm. Is all this living really worth dying for? And finally, I was born to play. There is an array of <laughs> amazing quotes and gems uh, dropped in this one. Uh, but but, Serge, you kind of like what was one of your most memorable quotes for this one? Um, so there, there was a lot, but I think the one that stuck out to me is, was, uh, so like one of those uh, heavenly creatures, right? Uh, they kind of corrected Joe when Joe was trying to get back on Earth. Um, he says, your spark is not your purpose of living. You know, like there's a difference between your spark and then like, you know, uh, what I guess drives you to, to enjoy life as it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a direct quote, but pretty much what he was saying was, for instance, like I love photography, but photography is not my purpose of living. And mm-hmm. so if I focus on photography for my whole life and ignore everything else, yeah, one, I'm not living, uh, you know, but two, like I'm, I'm knowing like good things that God has given me. Let's yeah. say when it comes to relationship, let's say fatherhood or enjoying food or enjoying friends, like I'm, I'm losing all side of that. And I, and if anything, that's a detriment to me. Mm-hmm. And so how that heavenly uh, character was able to tell him like, hey, your spark is not your purpose of living. Yeah. Like it, it helps, you know, develop you know, your character, but it's not your purpose of living. It's not. So I think uh, that quote uh, was probably one of the best ones and one that mesmerized to me. And so. Um, Savant, you kind of like what was like one of your most memorable quotes for this particular film? It came from the one of the scenes I mentioned earlier. I'm going to read it verbatim. I heard this story about a fish. He swims up to this older fish and says, I'm trying to find this thing they call the ocean. The ocean, says the older fish. That's what you're in right now. This, says the young fish, this is water. What I want is the ocean. <laughs> and she said, I'll see mm. you tomorrow. Bonkers. Woo! <laughs> I don't have to say no more, Bonkers. I don't have to. Bonkers, bro. <laughs> when she said that, it took me a minute to like, oh, wow. And I literally like sat there while watching like what a scene went to the next scene. I was just sat there like, wow. Hmm. You just had to sit with it. You just had to sit with it. Yeah, so like, many I Because I, I, I put watching this movie off for like two weeks. Everybody was talking about it. I was like, all right, I'm going to watch it. When I, when I got to the scene, I'm like, yo, he killed it. And he's just standing there looking dumbfounded. Why are you dumb? And then uh, and when she said that, I was like, oh. I felt that right here. I felt that, man. Yeah, that's my favorite quote outside of some others, but I won't prolong it. But yeah, that's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Transitioning to what did you like the most about the storyline? For me, just how it was a complexity of human feelings and just it went deeper into a profundity that's um, as visually ambitious, but really deep and meaningful as it illustrates how it's okay, as you said earlier, um, search to, to live for the little just everyday things and, and just not also always the big goals and, and, and just the bigger meta narrative of what we're trying to reach in life. Um, but to you, search kind of like what did you like in particular about this storyline? Yeah, I would say just the uh, the amount of attention to detail. I mean, I think it's very, very important when it comes to the narrative that you're trying to teach. I think it, it can be equally as important to, to show that or to, or to display that. Yeah. Let's say when 22 was in Joe's body and she tried pizza for the first time in her life, you see the change in, in, in 22's, well, Joe's body, like Joe's countenance, you know, Joe's face, just the enjoyment. Or when, like, it's a great scene when they're in a train station, you see that musician playing the guitar and he's singing, he's singing that beautiful song. And you mm-hmm. see 22's face just change and just listening to that, his melodious voice. And so I think they do a great job when it comes to mm. showing the the reality of enjoying the little things and how one would react to that, you know, that small thing in life. And so I think that that would definitely be it. I mean, they yeah. they hit it on the nail. And so yeah, absolutely. Um, Savon, so you kind of like in particular, what did you like the most as well about this storyline? I like the representation. For sure, mm-hmm. black representation, and also, like, I like the legacy and how hard the shadows can be, because it, mm-hmm. it, it 
he falls in love with jazz because of his dad. And then his dad was a musician and his, he didn't see how his dad struggled. He didn't see that part of things. He just blocked that out. But his mom did. His mom had to, you know, pick up the slack. And I love, I love that representation because we sometimes do not look at, at the bad things that come with wanting to get to the destination we want to go to. We just, right. we don't fall in love with the process. We block out the entire process and just focus on, I can't wait till I get to this point. Yeah. And once we get to that point- There's steps, there's steps to it. We, we don't love what we get into. It, instead, we need to love the process. Mm -hmm. And once he got to that point, and that's kind of just like, when he, when he got there, he was like, um, unfulfilled. It's just, oh, bro, it's, I mean, that's, this is a- There's, yeah, there's so much meaning. The there's so much meaning and packed in this movie. It is. And I, the biggest thing I took from this is the representation, how we looked. Mm -hmm. Finally, a movie that how we walked, how we talked, how the barbershop yes. looked. Yes. Like the candy from the conversation, from yes. knowing more about people. Like barbershop is where you learn a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so to take 22 there, I bro, it had to be Jamie Foxx or somebody in that room. Let's let's do a shot a scene in the barbershop where you learn more about like, yo, I learned a lot from the barbershop growing up. My dad used to yeah. take me to the barbershop and I used to learn about football, basketball, sports, uh, what's going on in the community, all that. And I love how they rep how that representation was in the film and it looked like a real brother because some of these characters don't look like real. They don't look like it. They don't look right. like it. No. <laughs> from the That's... shiny forehead, like Sir said, from the yeah. shiny forehead. <laughs> Yo. Like even like even like okay, you have a you have a Dorothea Williams, right? Yeah. But she's mm -hmm. playing a saxophone. You look at her hair and you look how her hair moves. Yes. Like it'll 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 bounce a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it wasn't something that was like hard. You know, like or like something that's stony. Like it had a little give. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it was beautiful, just from the melanin and how like yes. you know, their skin would glisten and like seeing yeah. the the detail in their curls or the detail in like Joe's hairline. Oh, it was fantastic. Just fantastic. Especially when he got that tape up. Oh. Yes, sir. Turn into yes, a new sir. man. Yes, sir. <laughs> Walks out the chair. Different. Boy, what? Boys, <laughs> I got Steve's, homie. <laughs> uh, but, but now getting to our final topic, 10 years from now, do you, do you still think this will be watchable and intriguing? And, and I definitely think it will as it's... It's just a heartwarming and stirring film that celebrates each person's individuality and, you know, centrally being in the moment and focusing on that um, more than the outside, um, you know, uh, voices and influences. Um, but to you, Serge, 10 years from now, at, you know, this is a current film, obviously, uh, released in December. Um, how do you think this will continue to be watchable and intriguing um, for new viewers? Um, so I'll say this. I think it will be still intriguing 10 years from now. And I think it will be because... Uh, because of the message in and of itself. Like, mm -hmm. think about this, right? Pixar is known for making well-known films. You know that. Let's take one of the most famous films uh, in Pixar in Pixar's uh, list, The Incredibles. I yeah. mean, when did they come out? Like, what, 2001, 2003? And people were, like, waiting for Incredibles 2. It was, it's still one of the best Pixar films out there right yeah. now. Yep, for sure. I would even say because of this film, because of the attention to detail, because of just the overall message, I think it will be applicable and still be watchable 10 years from now. It's a phenomenal film, especially because the cast and the yeah. voice acting, it's phenomenal. It just, there's so much richness, especially in regards to black culture, that, I mean, I, I, wouldn't, even, mm -hmm. I wouldn't see why a person would enjoy it 10 years from now. And so, yeah, I do yeah. think so. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Savon, to, to you um, to wrap it up, kind of like what in particular do you think um, another decade from now this will um, will make this particular film watchable and intriguing? I think Sir said it all, and to add to what he said, the way they they animated this movie, the different scenes, just like the the the, rep the representation of the sidewalks and how the buildings, how the sunshine hits, how the leaves fall, everything has a purpose, everything is in line. I love how they and they intertwine humans into it. So it's just like. The story and how they how they sh not shot it obviously, but how they orchestrated this man, it was it really moved smoothly, 
and that everything intertwines. Message from the characters, the voices, from the comedy that's that's <laughs> that's inserted in there <laughs> in different spots. I mean, it really is a good film, and it's it's, it's watchable for any age. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, man. Well, Serge, it has been an absolute pleasure having you on, as always. Always um, one of our favorite guests, and we love um, chopping it up with you. But thanks for being back on, man. Hey, thank you for inviting me. Serge for the win. Serge for president. <laughs> Serge for president. The first MVP on any full scope episode. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. Uh, I appreciate Shane Savon's mind. Shane yes, Savon's mind from a burrito before. Enlighten me, brother. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> right, brother. It's been a, been a pleasure. Yeah, man. Well, that wraps it up for tonight. I'm your host, Wendy Burns. I'm my kind of our save on Morris. This has been Full Scope. See you later.